0: This podcast is proudly presented by Patagonia. Not bound by convention, Patagonia is in business to save our home planet. This podcast is sponsored by Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort, but most importantly, your snacks. Deuter has a history of first ascents and alpine roots. Their head of product development even climbed Everest once, in jeans. Hashtag not fake news. Founded in 1898, Deuter believes in fit, comfort, and ventilation. So you can focus on way cooler things, like puppies, pocket bacon, and getting sendy, whether at the crag or in the alpine.
1: Today, we're going to talk about Ali. Ali means come on in a way or to encourage. Okay, we are done with the simple and normal uses of Ali. Now, let's cut to the chase.
0: LA outdoor personal care products are made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. Their rich and repairing ingredients for their skincare collection are inspired by desert landscapes, and their simple and recyclable packaging makes them eco-sustainable. LA commits to protecting the open spaces that we love by partnering with the Access Fund and 1% for the Planet. That's LA Outdoor, A-L-L-E-Z. LA Outdoor, made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. This podcast gets support from Gnarly Nutrition, one of the leading protein supplements that tastes way better than they need to because they use quality natural ingredients. So whether you're a working mom who runs circles around your kids on weekends or an unprofessional climber trying to send that five thirteen in the gym, Gnarly Nutrition has all of your recovery needs. The only question you need to ask yourself is: Are you a sucker for anything that tastes like chocolate ice cream? Yeah, me neither. Gnarly Nutrition is designed to enhance your progress and taste like a milkshake without all the crap Okun oh cool.
2: No,
0: oh cool. no. Oh cool. really oh cool is otsun more than prolific crack climbing gloves otsun has been making innovative gear engineered for climbing to improve your performance since 1998 their climbing shoe designs are all original developed and manufactured in czech republic and 100 percent gender neutral beyond their sticky rubber otsun is renowned for their hardware harnesses and the biggest lightest crash pad on the market Find your new favorite climbing shoes and accessories at Backcountry, Moose Campsaver, Camp Saver, and Amazon. It's June 1st, and like so many of you, I'm making the migration to higher elevation for the summer. This season of the pod just kicked off, and here are a few ways you can help us grow. Download and share your favorite episodes, leave us a written review on iTunes and or Spotify, and support our work on Patreon. And as a thank you, here's a cool thing from our oldest sponsor. Now through July 4th, take 20% off Deuter's entire guide series. Use promo code LOVECLIMBING-20, all caps. Enter the code in your cart when checking out and enjoy your new backpack on all of your summer adventures. That's LOVECLIMBING-20 for 20% off all climbing packs. Here's the show. A quick heads up. This podcast unequivocally supports the LGBTQI community. Episode 38 discusses suicide and depression. If you're struggling with mental health, please check out the show notes for more resources at fortheloveofclimbing.com and take care of yourselves while listening.
2: It's a bit of a long answer, if that's okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So climbing for me actually started, you know, way, way, way back. Um, I'm originally from uh, central PA and a really, really small town. Like literally if you take PA and you just put your finger right in the middle of it, like right in the Appalachian mountains, middle of nowhere, that's where I'm from. And looking upon it now you know the recurring theme of growing up in the small super homogenous super conservative super everything that you sort of imagine when you think of you know a, a very conservative town that's what it was so we were not from that town and the hard part about being an outsider in you know a very homogeneous, conservative everyone does the same thing sort of town is you, you kind of have to learn how to do what everyone else is doing and um, you know this was a football basketball we hunt we fish sort of place but i think the hard part for me i don't really have a positive memory towards it because it was always this is what we're doing to try to fit in and knowing that you really have to work to do that like you you want to be accepted by the people that you're around so you really fake as much as you can Um, And I think back on it, and I did. I had friends. I had people that were really, you know, we hung out, and we did all sorts of fun things. But to me, like, there was always this wall up, and there was always because from, like, a super young age, I always knew that we were different. We're not like everyone else, but there's something about me that's really different from everyone else, and this is something that you need to not let people know about. You know, first grade kindergarten, just, like, knowing... I don't know what this is, and it's, it's it's that I was gay. But, like, just not having a name for it even, but just knowing, like, there's something that is so different from me, and this is something that is dangerously different. Um, this is something that you really need to make sure that you don't let anyone know about. So because of that, I think for me there was almost this hyper, like, let me just find something. Let me, if I'm not going to be able to play basketball, I'm going to get into swimming. If I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do that. Um... And Scouts was one of those things where, okay, like I can go and do these things, but it, it's strange for me because I, I, I sort of think back on it and I think like I, I would do these outdoor things, but the outdoors wasn't some place for me.
1: Okay, I'm on awesome.
2: You are listening to the Love of Climbing Podcast. It's a funny sound, so uncomfortable. I was like, wow, this is the opposite of my podcast, but you know, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I'm Alex Honnold, and you're listening to For the Love of Climbing. Is it to the, or to, do you say to For the Love of Climbing Podcast? I'm Alex Honnold, and you're listening to For the Love of Climbing Podcast. Yeah, yeah, I see it you're listening to for the love of climbing podcast this is not a climbing podcast well sort of it's a funny sad and somewhat uncomfortable podcast about choosing vulnerability here's the show (laughs) easy cheesy glad president and ceo sarah kate ellis sarah kate always good to have you with us you know some of the lawmakers behind this bill their argument is kids have their whole lives to sort out their sexual orientation or gender identity so they don't need to have those conversations now how do you respond to that
1: Well, good morning. Thank you for having me. That was a very emotional piece for me, actually. Um, Seeing what's unfolding. We're not talking about sexual orientation gender identity in kindergarten. This is not about that. Show me a curriculum that does that. This is a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. And this is a a politician who is creating division within a school that doesn't need to be created. Families or kids like mine who have two moms, now when they say, draw us a picture of your family, they cannot draw a picture of their family. This is about ostracizing, shaming LGBTQ kids and their families. And it's going to lead to and already is is for families and lgbtq kids to feel shamed less than and what we see direct relation is more suicidal ideation it's just this is a problem that doesn't exist
2: the free speech organization pen america says at least 15 bills looking to restrict or penalize conversations about gender and sexual orientation are being considered right now in nine states is there anything at the federal level
1: that could be done to try and stop some of these bills? This is the concerted effort, and it's very coordinated because the bills actually all have the same language. And these are people who couldn't fight against marriage equality it's the same groups that said that if lgbtq people were afforded the right to marry the whole society would come undone and guess what the sun rose the next day and everything's fine there's over or nearly 200 anti-lgbtq bills across the country right now there is an equality act that is sitting in the senate that is passed the house that would help with eradicating a lot of these anti-lgbtq LGBTQ sentiments. About 90% don't make it through. 10%. And this one, the Florida one that we're talking about, the Texas one that we're talking about, are egregious and very, very dangerous and harmful. The The problem happens when these bills are actually proposed because they're politicizing people's identity and orientation and we're just people. We just wanna live our lives and we don't wanna be politicized. Now we're being politicized on the playgrounds and in the classrooms.
2: So my name is Dan Reese. I live in LA proper, uh, specifically in Orange County. So in a nice, beautiful, residential, suburban, pretty boring area, but I've really enjoyed transitioning from, you know, living in one of the biggest, busiest cities to, you know, now I'm two miles away from work and I can just work and go to the gym and go climb on the weekends. So I came from Stronghold I have to represent Stronghold from downtown LA because they started me on this journey Um, and I'm a marketer. I actually just switched jobs so I moved from Johnson Johnson over to a smaller company and super excited because they are taking essentially hardware that they use to monitor patients pre, during, and post surgery and they have really cool algorithms and AI that they're sort of combining everything together to help sort of triage and better manage patients. But yeah, so I work we call it upstream and the here's what we think we want to make how do we actually make it and it's it's super cool I've always been sort of fascinated with not necessarily like how things work but like the logistics of how something happens and so that's why this is super exciting like how does a podcast happen
0: <laughs> and despite endless google searches we ask ourselves the very same question to this day
2: um, and, and so I do the same thing with devices, you know, like what's working, what's not, how do we make it and get it to the U.S., but also how do we make it and get it to rural India and, you know, the really, really rural places where they need it just as much as everywhere else. So, yeah, I was working out east for a while and then our headquarters was out here, so I was training and just had that feeling like, I don't know why LA is not going to be good for me, but like, I'm going to need to move there. And uh, it has been hard. It's been really good. And, you know, looking forward to the day that I get to not live in a major traffic congested, terrible city, but, um, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, however you want to call it, um, have just made like some of the best friends that I've ever made, especially through climbing. And until that's done, we will stay put. So at what point do you just say you're from LA? Like I was born on the East coast, but like I'm from here now. Um, I'm not ready to say that though. So (laughs) I'm living here.
0: Discrimination against LGBTQI communities is not unique to rural areas, but its impact is more acute limited access to healthcare just being one example. And cities do offer more safe queer spaces, including protection when it comes to employment, housing, and federally funded programs. Non-discrimination protection in rural areas disproportionately impact queer communities. But according to a study from the Movement Advancement Project, between 2.9 and 3.8 million LGBTQ people live in rural America. This number shatters the stereotype that gay and trans people are typically only city dwellers. And for the most part, people choose to live outside of cities for the exact same reasons as heterosexual cisgender Americans, closer access to nature and community. Nobody should have to choose between basic rights and where they call home. And yet many do. The outdoors isn't biased, but its history is rooted in discrimination. Lack of diversity and inclusion in outdoor spaces has been traced back to the individuals who created park systems. The underlying rationale was always the idea of promoting nationalism and the American identity, which was primarily white and male. And you won't have to tell any person of color or LGBTQ person about discrimination, because chances are they already know.
2: There were just, you know, things that are said, um, things that you're sitting around the campfire and people just kind of make homophobic jokes. And one, I remember they were like, yeah, if if one of them showed up, do you bury them or burn them? You know, when when people make those little kind of offhanded jokes, you you laugh, you diffuse, you disconnect, but it just kind of digs in, I think, a little more than what you expect. Scouts introduced me to climbing, and I remember there was this one little random patch of boulders in the middle of Pennsylvania called Builder's Rocks, and, you know, there's not anything you're going to get photographed and put in a magazine climbing, but um, we were camping there, and someone had some ropes, and they hooked it up, and they had a rappel, and it was kind of a gnarly rappel for your first time. Like, there was this big lip, and you had to not only lean back, but then pretty quickly, as soon as you got onto the wall face, then it went to an overhanging lip, and you had to free rappel down. And I must have finished it, and I guess my dad noticed something that I didn't, because a week later, my dad and I were driving three hours to Pittsburgh to go to REI to buy climbing gear. And so you know the week after that we then went and we found a guide and you know my dad had a book and i mean i was a proper teenager who did not read unless he absolutely had to so my dad would sit and read a book and I and then in commercials he would like pop the the footrest up on his chair and like hey tie this knot hey you know look at this picture of how you equalize anchors and you know i remember one time the hand jams and we like practiced hand jamming in the cushions of the fabric of the couch and stuff like that and um when we would drive just anywhere we were, if it was on the freeway or if it was on some back dirt road, obviously this is way before Google and way before the internet. Um, we would see someplace and then we'd get out topographic maps and look at sort of lines to see like, is that really somewhere we could go? And we didn't have climbing shoes. So I think it's like glorified hiking, if anything else. But enough that, you know, we were, throwing our hands and stuff and you sort of set the anchor and rappel down in and sometimes find out that it's not really climbable, those kind of things. But we we did a lot of that. And, and I think the thing that makes me sad when I think about that is that's a lot of people, you know, that have been climbing for a long time. Like that's a really great starting point. Um, my high school graduation present from my dad was we went and we got a guide and we went whitewater kayaking on the new and the Golly river down in West Virginia. And it turned out that it was a week before the world championship. And so like these were class four, class five rapids. And I'm just like sitting in an eddy and there's all these pros around and I'm like, you guys go like, it's fine. I'm going to go and just get you know whipped by this white water i'm going to be destroyed by it and they're like no dude like go for it this is gnarly and um you know these these really fun stories that i should have but the entire time i'm just thinking this isn't for me you know the, the the place that i am safest is in a city the place that i need to be is away from rural places and and i i you know, I, I look at all the stuff that we did as a family, and I say, I had to have had fun with it, but I don't remember any of it. I, I don't know if you've seen the Netflix special with Hannah Gadsby, Annette. but one, one of the lines is, growing up rural, really conservative, and she said, you know, really, really bad things happen when you grow up gay and homophobic. And I really struggled with that. And I didn't know I was struggling with it. I think between Nanette currently and Freaks and Geeks, you know, back in the day. But, you know, there's a scene in that, too, where one of the characters, Bill, he comes home from school and like no one's home. And he just like makes mac and cheese and he sits and watches TV. And it's just this like moment where he's just himself and he's like laughing, watching TV and food's falling out of his mouth. And um That was me with MTV's Real World, because I remember coming home and like my people, they exist out there. There's there's someone out there that's like me and people accept them and they can be who they are and they can date and they can do all the things that I see everyone else doing. But those are not things that are allowed for me. So I I think that after I graduated, I sort of took all that stuff, just put it in a box and was like, go to college, study as hard as you can, work as hard as you can and get to the biggest city that you possibly can.
0: The trajectory was D.C. and then Pittsburgh, which eventually led Dan to living in downtown L.A. And by the time he had moved to California, Dan was working 80 hour work weeks in the corporate world. He found himself depressed, injured often, overweight, and out of shape. But when your career is advancing and you're working for a Fortune 100 company, you should ride that momentum, right? At least Dan thought so. He also started thinking about some of the things that brought him joy. And that's when he remembered climbing.
2: Like there was that thing called climbing and they have climbing gyms but the timing wasn't right and the timing was right when i was in downtown la and just like nothing working mentally physically any of that sort of stuff and that's where i said you need to just try this you need to go up there. Stronghold was right next to the train station that I used for work and uh, went in and it it just, it it felt less like this is somewhere I'm going to work and do something that's good for my physical body. It was home. And I remember walking in and in the bathrooms, like it's the male identifying or non-binary, like it has that wording. And I just remember being like, this would be so infuriating to so many people, but like, this is so cool that this is normal here. I think that I've started to figure out why climbing means so much to me because it is more than just about getting to the top. For me, climbing needed to meet with mental health in a really unique way. I don't know, I hit this point where I was like, you're 34 years old, like you're treading water. And I thought, why don't you just try this out?
0: It's definitely worth mentioning that Dan had a really hard time finding a therapist. This was too important to his story to omit because we know that it's a huge challenge for a lot of people. Much like in the dating realm, for therapy to succeed, you have to find the right person and the process of trial and error can be emotionally draining, especially if you're already feeling sad and anxious. By the time most people are ready to seek professional counseling, they're already experiencing a crisis or at capacity.
2: I, I kept saying PTSD is for somebody who was in a war. Like PTSD is for somebody who went through significant physical trauma. Like, I, I know that I've been through things. I know there's a lot from my past that I was, what I thought, working through and worked through already. You know, why do you need to pick a scab whenever it heals? But like, like I remember, you know, you grow up rural, an acorn falls on the roof. There's a stick that falls. There's a, a deer outside, you know, any of that sort of stuff. I always thought it's someone coming for us. Like, I am the reason why this family is... going, And, and, you know, you hear it on the news, right? That was right around the time where some of these hate crimes were starting to pop up. And I, I just remember vividly thinking that's someone coming for us. And I remember there being nights where I was sleeping at night. And in order to fall asleep, I would think about escape routes out of the house. What would I do if someone was in the doorway? Okay, I could go out onto the roof. What if there was someone down below on the roof? Like that's not something that somebody who didn't grow up with significant, like, and, and that word significant, like everyone has something that happens, but you know, growing up and as I was getting into, you know, later high school years. And I remember specifically my senior year, like that's when the depression just became too much and thinking, you know, this is my out, this is my way out. When, when the TV show Glee came out, I remember like the big thing was dumping slushies on the gay kid and this, that and the other. And, um, like, that happened to me. I was in the cafeteria, and someone came, and they dumped their food on me. And I stood up, and I slipped because the floor was wet. And I remember the vice principal just came up, and he's like, get it together. You know, by by senior year, I think that I just sort of lost it all. And senior year high school, all of a sudden... I noticed that my drinking and my partying was really picking up and a lot of these other things were going on and, you know, consequences didn't really exist. And, and it's strange because this is the same time that I'm having these great outings with my dad and, like, we're going literally out in the middle of the woods and just putting a sign on the side of our car on the interstate that says, we'll be back, maintenance issue, and really we're sneaking into the woods to go climb. And then, you know, I get home and there's this thing that's going on that I'm not talking about that I can't tell anyone about and it led to it doesn't matter what college i go to because i probably am not going to graduate it doesn't matter what major i pick because you know that's down the road it doesn't matter cuz i'm probably never going to make it to college i'm not going to and and that time period just slowly shortened down to you know one night just sitting at the end of my bed and thinking like none of it really matters because i'm probably not going to wake up tomorrow and that should have been such like a scary thing to happen. And I just remember feeling relieved and thinking, now you got to figure out how. And the next thing that happened, I woke up and I'm in my room and all the lights are on and I'm underneath my bed in all my clothes. And I just think like, oh, you didn't do it. And you you, you you have to somehow pick yourself up out of that, right? You have to get yourself out.
0: A 2022 national survey conducted by the Trevor Project found that 45% of teens seriously considered suicide in the past year. Gay and trans youth of color considered and attempted suicide at higher rates than their white counterparts, with the highest percentages among Native American, Black, and Middle Eastern. Transgender males, non-binary or genderqueer, and transgender females considered and attempted suicide at the highest rates. CEO and executive director of the Trevor Project, Amit Paley, states that his hope for these data and trends will be used by researchers, policymakers and youth serving organizations to advance policies that better support gay and trans youth and work to end the public health crisis of suicide.
2: I went to a college that was extremely conservative on the evangelical spectrum, which means that I essentially went directly into four years of conversion therapy. And yeah, like not the like, we're going to lock you in a room and beat you kind, but the you're going to spend the next three years self-inflicting torture on yourself, using shame and guilt as a way to really really confuse your head but once you get into therapy and well that happened like a decade ago it's not impacting me now and then your therapist is like well you just cut someone off on your way in here and you're saying that you're worried about like what does that person think about you are they at the coffee shop waiting for you to come out like you are constantly on guard and there's a, a therapist that works on PTSD, specializes in it, and his name's Bissell Vanderkork, And his book's called The Body Keeps Score. And the goal of trauma therapy not being to relive the situations that happen, but his idea is that you're presenting yourself with opportunities to contradict what your body expects. And that's climbing for me. I can be open and authentic. And the the, the part that keeps breaking my brain with climbing is the people like that's the first time that I've ever just been like one of the guys they were like making a joke about like some girl at the gym and I was like well like yeah she's wasting her energy on me and that's what they did they just laughed so many times I think whenever you're an outsider from the norm from the group like when you haven't just been made fun of right for just baseline things like I've been picked on and abused but I've never just been like the butt of a joke from people like just been part of the group
0: Dan continued going to therapy after finding the right therapist, and he started climbing. It started creating a sense of security, and he was able to reframe and release a lot of the trauma that he'd experienced growing up. Dan, the guy who likes to understand the logistics of how things happen, was in the process of troubleshooting his own life and refiguring himself out as a person. But it was a process.
2: Three weeks ago, we were camping out, um, and we're going to boulder all weekend. Um, on the second night, it was like 11 o'clock, and we were quietly just sitting at the table, you know, sharing some beers. Most of the campsite is asleep, all those kind of things. And coming up the road, you can see just this big truck, and you can hear the big diesel engine going, and this, that, and the other. And I thought, that's not a ranger. That's people and everyone else is kind of ignoring them and I can't stop staring at them as they're coming closer. Um, so, so yeah, they, they, they come into our our campsite and, uh, you know, they're super drunk and they're, you know, we're just looking for something like those are, those are my people. I, I know, I know those people. I know the people that sit in big trucks and I know what looking for something means. And so, um, you know, I ended up talking more than anyone else because I think I was the most nervous. And I was like, I just want you out of our campsite. And they leave. And as they leave, I sort of told the guys at the table, I said, so I'm, I'm nervous about these people because they're looking for something and they're going to go and they're going to leave and they're going to get to the end of the road. And a couple things are going to happen there. They're going to keep driving or they're going to be like, wait a minute. We don't get told what to do. We're, we're going to go back there. And... You know, I, I think the important part about being open with the group that you're with and what it means to be an ally is that you're also going to have your life and your life experiences sort of changed. And, you know, in the, in the back of my mind, I didn't tell them this, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how was I sitting? Did I speak with a lisp? Did I, what, what did I, and I remember whenever they left, I remember thinking, as soon as you started talking, your voice was deeper. Like Like, there were all these things that I knew to do right away and first of all being ashamed of that but also really nervous that they might have saw something and you know what I'm telling people is what if they go and they come back and in my mind I'm thinking what if they go and they say we're not gonna let some gay guy talk to us like that and you know the group was like you are being paranoid like where no like they just stopped by like these are just drunk people like they're just gonna go on um so we said well you know it's late anyway we should probably just go to sleep let's go to sleep and in my mind again because like you go into your ptsd like you relive your moments i was like this is what you've been afraid of your entire life this is why the outdoors was not for you and i remember everyone just Sprinting to their tents. This is not what happened. But in my mind, like just everyone bolts to their tents, jumps headfirst in, and just immediately hides. Um, but about a half hour later, you hear the truck come back and they stop at the campsite and you can hear them. But I'm just sitting in my tent, frozen, thinking. What do you do? And I'm like sliding my shoes on. If I need to run, I can run. If I this and another, and thankfully they go away. And then I get out of my tent and I just sort of say like, "Let me watch. Let me see what's going on here." And they drive around the campsite and then they come back and then they park in the campsite across from our campsite. And at this point, I'm flat on the ground, hiding, trying to hide myself, but then also look for them. And I'm slowly whispering to people, "I'm like, hey, like." guys, they're back. Like, what do we do? What do we do? We're at a cell phone reception. We are way in the mountains. And they leave again. And I think, okay, this is your opportunity to go. Thinking, if they come back, they're going to be looking for you. So are you okay with them ripping this campsite apart? And I thought, no, like that's that's not something that I'm comfortable with. At that moment, obviously, I didn't have any lights out, but there was like a quarter moon, and I remember looking around and just starting to build a map in my head of where are the boulders, where are we, where are they? If they come back, if they come back, what's the line set? Because obviously, these people probably are armed. There's some kind of a gun. There's some kind of a weapon that they have. So what do I do here? And as I'm thinking this, they came back, and they actually park in our campsite. I'm squatting on the ground. And and like the, the crazy thing is, is I, I remember squatting down on the ground and thinking, wow, climbing has really helped your range of motion because you never were able to like get this low to the ground and still be like super mobile. Um and also thinking, this might be your last sort of moment. If this goes the way that it might go this isn't going to be a fun couple hours here.
0: We're going to take a short break. We'll be back. with BetterHelp to connect you to licensed therapists. They'll match you with the perfect therapist for a fraction of the cost of traditional therapy. You know who goes to therapy? Prince Harry, Emma Stone, Jenny Slate, Kesha. Therapy is beautiful. Everyone should go to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com slash climbing to sign up and receive 10% off your first month. It helps support the show and it helps support you. Patagonia reintroduces clean climbing, a philosophy that challenges us to ask ourselves, what constitutes success? From the commercial introduction of chalks in 1972 to cams in 1978, clean climbing meant that we could finally climb free. This was the beginning of modern climbing. Yvonne Chouinard and Tom Frost argued that this ethic of style over summit should also inspire climbers and mountaineers to restore our commitments to each other and to the planet we're working to save. Go deeper and check out the 2022 reflection on the state of clean climbing. Bring back clean climbing by Mei Lee Hung on the Patagonia website. Visit patagonia.com stories for more.
2: So if they come back, what's my threshold? Like, what am I going to do? When do I go to them versus when do you just wait? And uh, I said, as soon as I hear a door, if, if I hear a door open, I'm going to go up and I'm going to, we'll, we'll have a chat. And thankfully, they pull out. And as they're leaving, I hear them saying, I don't know, should we come back? They're probably going to be asleep. The other guy's like, I told you they were asleep. I told you they're not up. I told you this. So like, They're looking for us. And when they get down to the bottom of the hill, thankfully, one of the guys at the bottom campsite, he goes, I have a radio. I'm calling the Rangers. Leave right now or else. Um, So that's the event as I saw it. Everyone else, there were just these annoying guys that kind of drove around like this is no big deal. But to me, it was you knew you were always alone. You knew that you shouldn't have been outside and you knew that if these people come, that they're going to come back. And everything came true. So it was a really hard thing to not only live through at that moment, but then you can't leave, right? Because they're they're on the road down the hill. So you just have to sit in the woods until morning. And as soon as I got up, I just told people, I was like, I got to get off this mountain. I got to get out of here. And um, I, I fell apart. I sort of said, I, I don't, want to climb anymore i don't want to do any of this i don't i don't i don't want to do this i i like came home and i just was like doing whatever i could to just survive and whenever i was brushing my teeth at night i remember looking in the mirror and just seeing a shell and i thought you owe it to yourself because you've worked really hard for this thing you owe it to yourself to try to see this thing through And so the next day I went and woke up in time to go to the climbing gym and cried on my way into the climbing gym and got in there and cried a little bit when I was there, but sort of hid it from everybody. And, um, you know, the group chats kept going, but I just sort of muted them. And one of the guys I climb with, we talk all day, every day, pretty much from the time that we wake up until the time that he's like, I have to go talk to my wife. I'll talk to you tomorrow. It's adorable. Um, he is my best friend. You know, I just fell off the radar and he just finally said, he was like, where have you been? You're radio silent. And I just, I told him, I said, look, you're not going to understand this because it's a situation that you didn't experience the way that I did. And it's going to sound crazy, but here's what I experienced. And he, he just said, he goes, I am so sorry you take as much time and distance as you need. If you decide that you never want to climb outside again, let's set up times and let's climb inside. Um, If you don't want to climb inside and you don't want to climb ever again, I still like hanging out with you. It'd be great if you could stop by for a beer every now and then. Um, But he was like, do you want me to take you off the group chat? Do you want me to this? Do you want to that? And like, there is no other way that you can analyze that situation and come up with something other than like this is someone who just cares about you like this is someone who sees you as valuable and that was something that i just hadn't experienced ever and and it's so strange to say like this sport this thing that we do whatever you want to call it um You know, I I don't do it particularly well. My joke is always like I'm too stupid to quit this thing because I work really hard to be this bad. Like I've been working for many, many years on some of these very basic, you know, moves and, and I just have really bad range of motion activation. But for some reason, it's fun to train and even more fun to hang out with these people, but in a really strange and unpredicted way. Climbing has sort of presented me with people not just an activity but people who let me know that it's okay to kind of let what my therapist calls survival coping skills for the situation that you're in you know I'm not in that situation anymore I'm not around those people I'm not in that environment and it is safe And it's funny, right? Like, we like to hang out when we don't climb, but, like, there's just something that magically happens when it's, like, the people and the events that those two together... I don't know, like, a peanut butter sandwich is fine, but, like, PB&J is so much better. So... When you're in your mid-30s, you know, you're staring down that magical 40 number, right? I'm single. I, I I have a lot of friends that have, like, home and, like, a stable life and all those kind of things, and I still am, like, sitting in the dirt. And I think I've always just been curious, like, is climbing just, like, a fad? Is it just something that you're doing now that, you know, in two or three years, you'll sort of move on to whatever the next thing is and the next thing? Um, I think it's going to stay. And... I I just keep coming back to that line of presenting yourself with opportunities to contradict what your brain or your body thinks. You know, a couple weeks ago, my brain and body said it is incredibly unsafe for you to be just existing. And I felt confident and comfortable enough to go do something that, you know, I think that my whole life I've wanted to do. I, I I really enjoyed, I think, climbing in high school. I think I enjoyed being outside. It just wasn't a place that I was allowed to be. And, um, you know, slowly but surely realizing that it actually is somewhere that I can be. And, and I, I think that it's really cool, too, to see how by being open and by sharing my story with the guys, that they have also recognized that you know they have a part in this and and that's what allyship really means. And imagine how different things would be if I had this level of acceptance for myself when I was a teenager. I'm interested to see what role I play in that because I think that that's something that I want to be part of moving forward. Like after this event happened, camping, I just remember coming home and thinking, who's someone from the community that I can call? It's why, you know, I want to do the volunteer work that I do. It's why I wanted to change my job. To me, I'm excited about having more of these opportunities where people are okay, you know, not only saying who they are, but like you said, like what they went through and and what road led them to them. The line that I wish that I could have, like the best line from Love, Simon, is when Jennifer Gardner's character like finally tells Simon, like, you get to take a breath, you get to exhale. I think that's the line, you get to exhale. I feel that way now. Like this is what I was supposed to be, somebody who is excited to leave work, somebody who's excited to go hang out with his friends. I am surprised at every step of the way whenever I sort of pick one of the weeds, like the flowers are growing so much stronger. When you yeah, strip things away like you you lose things and you do you grieve for them. But there there comes a point where you're just tired of surviving. And because I have this other thing and I have this other coping mechanism, you know, something that could have been equally as devastating to me, like I think it shows the importance of having not only mental health, like understanding your own mental health, but having your own system set up that like I knew what to do. I knew what I was feeling and I knew that I had this other thing to work for. Like it was so easy for me to say, your life isn't useless or pointless. Like you have a lot and you have something to look forward to and you owe it. If nothing else, you have spent too much time in quarantine doing too much yoga to not see if you can translate it into being able to climb slab. (laughs)
0: The Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization for LGBTQ youth. If you're a youth ages 13 to 24, connect with an affirming international community at thetrevorproject.org. Through public policy advocacy and education, GLAAD works nationally to create a society free of discrimination based on gender identity, HIV status, and sexual orientation. If you're struggling with suicidal ideation or thoughts of self-harm, call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK.
2: Dear Kathy, sometimes I feel the fear of my elders, my community, my parents. I can hear their voices sinking into my brain, asking, are you safe there? Do they know others who look like you? Their fear is of the darkness, of the unknown, of lands that they haven't seen. Their fear is not of bears or coldness, or injury, but rather of death. Their fears sometimes sink into my mind when I sit at the crag, or the hike-in, or the small town that I visited just before. This fear is irrational at times, but it sinks in because of the history that my elders, my people, have had with the land.
0: You're listening to For the Love of Climbing Podcast. A huge thank you to Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort. And a big thank you to Gnarly Nutrition for supporting this podcast and the messages that we share. Gnarly Nutrition supports a community of vulnerability and equality and tastes like a milkshake without all the crap. A big shout out to LA Outdoor for supporting the Access Fund and 1% for the Planet. And to Otsun, innovative gear engineered for climbing to improve your performance and thanks to patagonia not bound by convention patagonia is in business to save our home planet support companies who support this podcast we couldn't do it without them if you liked what you heard you can leave a review on itunes or give us a like like all good things you can find us on the internet